afternoon, everybody, with Jai Shields. Yours truly, Christopher Russo. Hello there, Jai. How are you today, pal? Hey, dog. Thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Amatel Like a TIS podcast with your host, George, uh, excuse me, your host, yours truly, Jai Shields. Here, and you just heard him, a special guest, uh, my mentor, my, uh, I wouldn't say idol, but my mentor, my inspiration, and honestly, one of one of the main reasons why I'm in this business of recording these podcasts uh, every single week about the world of sports. He is none other than Marconi Award winning. He had a 30 for 30 done on him, uh, host of MLB Network's High Heat and host of Mad Dog Unleashed on Sirius XM, Mad Dog Sports Radio, Channel 82, the one and only, the great Christopher Mad Dog Russo. Dog, too kind, how are you? Jai. Too kind, Jai. Too kind. Thank you, buddy. How you doing today? Things good? Let me hear. I'm doing all right, dog. Thank you, and thanks a million for uh, for coming on. I appreciate that. No problem. As we talk, we got a lot to do. Go ahead. You start us, and uh, I hope you and, and well, I will add and Give everything I got here. So you fire away and I talk. Go ahead. Thank you. So we'll do, I'll touch on the serious stuff first and then I'll get to the background of your life and everything else and we'll get goofy. But first things first, uh, dog, what are your thoughts on this whole coronavirus pandemic? It's August, uh, what is it? August 15th at the time I'm recording this. Um, we've been essentially locked in in some way or another with this dealing with this global pandemic for the past five months. You know, you haven't been to the New York City studios at Sirius since August, since March 11th, March 12th. You know, you've been sequestered for the most part at home in New Canaan, Connecticut. What if what if what is your thoughts on this pandemic as a whole and well, first off, it's not going to last forever. The uh, pandemic of 1919 did not last forever. And that was actually a worse pandemic than this, much more violent virus. 650,000 people died. Uh, and that, we won a war during that uh, when that pandemic was brought over by soldiers and away we go. So that ended. This will end. Um, I, I would think we probably have another six, seven months of this. Uh, where where everything is not going to be right, I would hope by maybe next spring uh, we'd be relatively back to normal. I mean, I would say a little earlier than that, but because it's winter time and viruses flourish in that scenario, I'd have to say probably I got to add a few months to it. I think that we will learn to adapt. Um, I know schools would try to do what they have to do, and you know sports would do what they have to do. You can't shut the world forever. I mean. You know, and remember, the therapeutics seem to be a little better. Young people seem to survive a little better. I think that will help, too. But eventually, we will come on the other side of this. I do think probably we're about halfway through it. I would say we come out of the side early part of next year. Sounds like a vaccine, uh, you know, sometime early spring. By the time they get through trials and, you know, get to the first responders and distribute it properly and, for mass distribution, that's going to take three, four months. So I would say, you know, maybe by next May, we'll be relatively back to normal. Uh, but I still think we got a ways to go. It's unfortunate, but that's uh, there's nothing much. Uh, listen, you know, it happens every 100 years, and here it is. We're dealing with it right now. That pandemic in, uh, in might be right around the war, World War One. It started in the spring of 1918. 
And I think it probably ended about 10 months later. Uh, so if that's the case, this would end maybe in January. I might be a little premature. might be a little longer than that. But I think eventually here, early part of next year, we'll get ourselves back together again. That's uh, Well, I sure hope so, because uh, life has not been the same since March. You know, of course, me being a senior, having my the final few months of my senior year in high school cut short, graduation postponed two months and two months and all of that. But uh, the sooner this pandemic ends, uh, the better. How, how has it affected you personally with your job and, and family? And how has how the, the pandemic personally well, the, affected From a family Lisa? standpoint, it's been a positive because all my kids are home. So although I had a senior in high school, too, who had a, you know, a lousy spring term there in high school, uh, I had my two other kids who are in college home early, both around the middle of March. Uh, and, you know, one's back in school now. Other ones going Friday and then the seniors going in a week. So from the personal standpoint, I had to go through, I had all four kids home. So that was nice. As far as the work situation was concerned, I mean, it's basically, I've been able to do basically essentially the same thing that I've always done. I mean, obviously no high heat into July 13th and now high heat here in New, here in Connecticut. Uh, I don't like doing the TV and the radio at home. Uh, I like the idea of commuting. Uh, I mean, I don't like the three hours of commuting a day. It's annoying. But train rides, reading newspapers, uh, that doesn't bother me as much as I don't drive to work. I take the trains to work so I can work on the train, which I kind of enjoy. Uh, Part of me likes that routine. I don't have that. But the thing I do like is I do like being in a studio. And at home, it's not really a studio. I'm on the third floor. I sit on the couch. I get the equipment. And I do my thing and I can do it in my pajamas. And I would prefer having a place to go to do work because I think it makes it for better shows. It puts me more in a work environment. So from that standpoint, I am not as keen on it, uh, you know, work related as I would be normally. But I do personally with the children at home. That is a plus. Now, I have played a lot more sports than normal because I don't have to commute. So I'm saving three hours a day uh, without having to worry about getting to and from work, which leaves three hours a day for more tennis. I can play golf in the morning at times before the baseball resumed in July. So that has helped. But, um, you know, all in all, I I know it sounds crazy. I'd rather be at work. I really would. Uh, I think overall it helps the show. It helps the TV when I have a place to hang my hat instead of hanging in here uh, uh, in Connecticut. So I would prefer to be at home. I prefer to be at, at work than at home. That's fair. I mean, I felt the same way with school. You know, I'd much rather, you know, like, I again, the commute can get annoying for me waking up at, uh, you know, 515 and having to deal with that long bus ride down into the city to go to school. But, you know, I, I had to admit, you know, bit middle of May, middle of April, you know, when you had to, it was, it's much more difficult rolling out of bed and walking two feet to and getting on a <laughs> iPad and a computer to do schoolwork than it is waking up at about, you know, 5.15, going through the routine of getting dressed, brushing your teeth, you know, grooming yourself, and then, you know, getting in a car, getting on a bus, and then going to school. You know, I, I miss that. I, I, I'm with you. I miss that routine. You miss it. And I think you work better when you have to work a little harder to get to work or get to school than if it's too easy because you're not in the right mindset by, you know, sitting around in your pajamas all day. And, oh, now I got to work. It's weird. 
So there is right. an aspect of it that I do miss of being in New York. And I don't think we're going to be in New York anytime soon. So, I mean, I don't think, uh, I don't think Sirius will reopen until January. I have done some TV at, in Secaucus. I've done one radio show in Secaucus. That I don't like because in the MLB network, when I do the radio there, they put me in a little booth. And I, you know, there's nobody there. I mean, I'd that I don't like. Uh, I've had to do that a couple times. I actually did this week because we lost power. But that right. I don't particularly like with that storm. We lost the power. That I don't particularly like. Uh, but overall, I'd rather be in New York City. I really would. That's totally understandable, Doug. Totally understand. Now, how now? How was that storm? You know, it wasn't bad down here. Down here was like you know, it was a thunderstorm that lasted for about a couple of hours, and then it passed. You know, no, for yeah, at least around my neighborhood, no power was lost. No trees really were were blown down or anything. How how was that storm up in the uh, tri-state area? Well, in Connecticut, six hundred nineteen thousand people lost power. Uh, you know, uh, Eversource didn't exactly uh, do a bang up job getting everybody back on uh, site. I lost power for about four days. I didn't have Internet until last Sunday. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was messy. Uh, uh, it was just, uh, you know, trees down. It didn't last long and only lasted about an hour and a half. So it wasn't a it wasn't a sequence where it lasted that long. But, uh, you know, it, it was damaging. And uh, we saw it coming. You know, we had followed the track of it. Uh, you know, we had went through Sandy. So a lot of us knew. And when you lose power here, don't forget, there's a lot of trees uh, in Connecticut here. Um, you know, and a, the wires are up top and not built underground. So as a result of that, it becomes uh, a major problem. So trees fall on wires. By the time they cut the trees down, get the wires fixed. I mean, it takes five or six days. I mean, there people did not have power really until... You know, late last weekend, I got my power back late on Friday night. Storm hit Tuesday afternoon. So it wasn't horrendous to me, but it was inconvenient. You know, it's, you know, it's inconvenient. It was hot weather. Uh, you know, I, everybody has a generator here, but my generator doesn't take care of the whole house. So it was annoying. So on top of the pandemic, on top of everything else that has occurred in America, also that storm was problematic. So they, a matter of fact, my golf course, not that I sound like my golf course, but the place <laughs> I play golf was closed two and a half days. Sure. Haven, all yeah. the trees are down. So it was really a messy, it was a messy sequence. It really was. I hear you. Now, now, uh, back in late May, you had the, uh, you had the tragic and the unfortunate and the horrific, uh, death of George Floyd at the hands of the Minneapolis police department. Right. Uh, and then, of course, you had all the protests that broke out, you know, as a result. And then, of course, Black Lives Matter. And it really, uh, you know, for a couple of weeks, it was almost as if Corona had, you know, gone away. And it was and the America was like, well, this is more important. You know, the hell with yep. Corona. We'll go out there. We'll protest. We'll march. We'll yell and scream. And right. then, of course, you also had, you know, riots that broke out as a result of the protests. Being 60 years of age and having lived through the civil rights movement as a young kid, what were your thoughts on, you know, the George Floyd incident and race and, and the Black Lives Matter protests? And how, how do you how do you grasp and how do you under how are, how are you beginning to understand the racial tensions in America as a 60 year old man? Are they as high as far as the tensions are concerned as they were back when you were? Back in like 1965, or are well, they? 
I was a little young. I mean, I'm I'm too young for uh, the late '60s. In the late '60s, you also had the Vietnam War, so you had that triggered too. Uh, you know, that had a lot to do with uh, civil rights in Vietnam, and now this is specifically civil civil rights. Uh, you know, um, we all know what Floyd did. What happened to George Floyd was a complete travesty. Uh, we all know these senseless deaths uh, with African Americans by police uh, is 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 horrendous. You know, police uh, the police are not taught properly. Uh, the mistrust is is terrible. But at least for me personally, it 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 it's very tricky to do talk shows because you know you can't you know people want to discuss this, and I'm trying to do sports. I don't have any sports to discuss. And if you say something that somebody deems is inappropriate, as my happened to Grant, my buddy out there at the Sacramento Kings, uh, you know, you don't, uh, you know, you don't get a second chance at it. So, you know, I felt that I had to be, a, you know, a little tempered on, on opinions. And, you know, not that my opinion was that much different than anybody else, any other civil person in American society. But, you know, the, 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 the uh, looting and, all, and the rioting, we all know that that aspect of it isn't pleasant. And, you know, you just can't, you, you have to be careful. So you, you almost, you know, you sit back and you watch and you listen without necessarily participating. I mm. always have said on the radio, Jai, and you have listened to me for a long time, that I just try to take care of my own little world, you know, my little sports talk world, mm-hmm. where I treat everybody, try to treat everybody the same, where I try to, right. in my private life, I try to treat everybody the same. And I, I mean, I only can do what I can do. Um, you know, uh, I, I have my own way of uh, making sure that uh, I treat uh, less privileged folks or uh, African-Americans or minorities as well as I possibly can here in Connecticut. Um, mm-hmm. I can't I mean, I can't change the way the police force interacts with urban with urban neighborhoods i mean i, I that, that is above my realm uh but I, I will just try to handle everything on a day-to-day basis the way i do it and try to do it appropriately treat callers appropriately treat sports right. appropriately and try to keep any racial tinge away from the show uh, and i think for the most part at least as this went along not the first few weeks, but that as this went along and you got through a month of this, I found that most sports fans, you know, I know although there wasn't much sports to talk about, most sports fans wanted to do other things and wanted to get away from it a little bit. Now, maybe that's wrong. Maybe we have to have this pounded into us to see the message, which I can understand if people feel that way. But I have to do the talk show the way my audience wants to wants the show done so i try to do i try to do the show with the idea that you know if i was putting the radio on i could go other places to get uh you know social justice causes examined don't have to necessarily go to me to do that so after a while i tried to do that now listen you know you had obviously drew Brees who said what he said you had marches or you had the nba uh, you know, with uh, the NBA stands, you know, I've had issues with some of the NBA people and coaches because they haven't really been consistent with China. Right, and yeah. that bothers me. So I can scream about that. But for the most part, I, after a while, tried to center on something else 
just to get people off it for a little while and try to do healthy discourse and make people happy. Uh, you know, I am not Martin Luther King. I am not going to be a guy who's going to change the way of the world. I can do my little part and I can act appropriately, appropriately. And that is essentially what I'm trying to do. Uh, now with sports, uh, you know, we have the NBA. We have obviously the NHL. We have some golf. We have some baseball. Football yeah. is going to start, you know, in some capacity soon. I can go out there and I can center the show a little bit more on sports. And until otherwise, Jai, I believe that's what my fan wants to hear, to be honest with you. Understandable. You know, I, uh, I, I talked about it here on this show. I, uh, in the, I think it was June the 1st, I came on here and I, and I yelled and screamed because, you know, when, I mean, when it affects me as being, you know, being a, uh, being a black man, I have no choice, but to, you know, with this platform that only, you know, 15 people listen to, I have this platform and, and, and I got to say something, you know, I don't, I don't go the uh, I don't go that route often, but when but when it's you warranted, have to go that route, you, I, you know. But when it's warranted, I, I, I have to. And forget about fifteen people. If you have one person, you got to do the show normally. You, you cannot right. do a show uh, with the idea. Well, I got a, I got twenty million here, so I'd be I'll do a good job. Well, I got ten people, so who cares? I won't care. Uh, you, you do the show the same way for if it's five listeners, ten listeners, a thousand listeners. Well, you're the number one talk show host in America. That's the way. That's the way you do it. You can't. You can't differentiate. You're on the air. You do a quality show, and you had to. You're a young kid. You're learning how to do this. This hits home to you. I'm sure you protested. We had protests in New Canaan. Uh, my kids participated, uh, and you know it's healthy. It's good. This is what America is built on. We protested here forever, and you protest. And you, if you want to do a show based on that, nobody stops you. You have the microphone. You do what you have to do. I did some of it. But I know I wanted to look at it from what my audience feels like. And I think after a certain period of time, people want to get away from a little bit, two, three, four hours a day. And so that's what I tried to do. And again, you know, I like to have fun. You know, I got I got Evan Cohen telling me about, um, you know, all the things that he's, you know, he's uh, he feels guilty because he's privileged. But in the next minute, he takes the private plane to West Palm Beach. So I, I so I have fun with that. I did a little of that too. There's a lot of hypocr- hypocrisy uh, with uh, with whites who you know feel horrendous, want to do something, but by the same token, they're going to go out there and they're going to get in their private planes. So you, you got to keep. And Evan's a perfect example of that. So I mean, and I love Evan, but you know what I'm. And I, he means great, but I think there is something to that. But you personally, you go out there and you do what you have to do, Chad. You, you're a kid first. You're a young adult first. You're not talk show host yet. You're a senior in high school. 10, 20 years from now, and you've built an audience after 30 years, then you can handle a little differently. Right now, you got to be an American citizen. And if it affects you and you're bothered by it, you go out there and you protest. And you say what you have to say. You have, you've earned, you got this, you got this recorder on, you got this podcast. It's a free country. Everybody's allowed to have an opinion. You can have yours. That's what I try to do, dog. Thank you. You know, if I see, if I see injustice, and if I, 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 I say it, you know, and I didn't, and and I didn't, and I didn't shy away from uh, Deshaun Jackson either. I went out there and I and I gave and I gave Deshaun Jackson hell as well. Um, now going to you personally, born October eighteenth, nineteen fifty nine, in Syosset, Long Island, in New York. 
Uh, explain to the audience what your childhood was like and how is it like, essentially, because you were an only child growing up to uh, to um, Molly and uh, Tony Russo. Explain to the audience what, what your childhood was like. Well, I mean, I lived in, I grew up in Syosset, Long Island. It's a, community, it's a suburb of Manhattan, about 30, 35 miles. Uh, you know, I grew up with sports. Um, you know, I didn't have any siblings, so it's almost like sports was my friend and my brother. And, uh, you know, uh, I was blessed. I didn't know that at the time, but I was blessed or have been blessed with a great memory. So that has helped me with my, with my career. Uh, only child. Uh, father was a huge Yankee fan. So I always had baseball in my blood. I didn't like the teams he liked, but he gave me a little feel of the Yankees. And baseball in the 60s, uh, you know, was a huge sport in, uh, in, uh, in New York. You had two baseball teams. The Mets got great. Uh, obviously, the Yankees had their great dynasty and their great history. So it was a, uh, it was a huge deal. Uh, you know, Syosset is a very athletic community. Uh, you know, a lot of athletes have come out of Syosset. Some pros have come out of Syosset. Uh, you know, quarterbacks have, you know, come out of Syosset High School. Uh, so my first 12 years of my life, you know, uh, going back to the 66, 67, was really dominated by sports. I mean, uh, I remember early Packer games. Uh, I was a big Green Bay Packer fan and the end of Lombardi. I was a huge San Francisco Giant fan uh, going back to 67, 68. Uh, so those two teams, I was always against the New York teams, for whatever the reason. I, I rooted for the Lakers to beat the Knicks. And then in May of 70, which no New York kid did at 11 years of age, and I did. Uh, but I, you know, right. uh, sports was in my blood. That's all there is to it. Um, and, you know, I had a uh, grew up with a bunch of kids who were the same as I was. Grant Napier is a perfect example. Uh, he meant uh, one of many. Uh, you know, it was a uh, New York had a lot of teams uh, and a lot of history. I mean, so there was just a lot going on from a sports standpoint. I went to a boarding school in upstate New York. Uh, the same school my father did, uh, that didn't seem to um, really have any uh, negative effect as far as my sports love is concerned. I mean, obviously, I'm in upstate New York in 1974. I can't follow sports as carefully as I can if I'm uh, living in a suburb of New York City. But uh, and I certainly followed it. I found friends up there in Darrow School, 130 kids, small boarding school who, uh, you know, liked sports as much as I did. I had one guy in particular who got the Darrow in 1976 by the name of Fred Leinfuss, uh, still close to this day, turned out to be the school president, went to Union College. Uh, he knew as much about sports as I did. He got there when he was 16. I was 16. So I had somebody to converse with. We used to take long walks through the Berkshires and the um, and uh, this campus is on like 25 acres. Uh, you know, take long walks in the spring and the fall talking about sports. I had that. He actually knew more about sports than I did in a lot of ways. Uh, but I, you know, I always had somebody uh, to converse with. So uh, I always knew I wanted to be a sportscaster. Uh, I always loved Marv Albert. I didn't think I was going to do a talk show. I thought I was going to be obviously a play-by-play guy. Marv Albert mm -hmm. was uh, huge. I listened to all the baseball games because I was a huge Giant fan. So I knew all the Met announcers. The, I knew Marty. I, I loved listening to Marty Brenneman, Murphy, Lindsey Nelson, and Ralph Kiner, Rizzuto, Frank Messer, Bill White. So, I mean, I, I Marv, of course, with the Knicks and the Rangers. Right. I just grew up with, a, um, with, with sports in my head.
and I you know I have the gift of the gab. My father, I I developed, I had, I got that trait from my father, uh, who had the same kind of personality that I did. I got that personality trait from him. And then when I graduated from Darrow, went to Rollins College, and I graduated from Rollins, I realized, despite the fact I was a history major, I realized that what I wanted to do was uh, doing sports. And then I had the long road to get where I was to get. But, uh, you know, uh, to be a good talk show host, in my eyes, it starts at an early age. doesn't start at 25, doesn't start at 22, because so much of sports is history and knowledge. Mm-hmm. And it, for me, it started when I was seven or eight years of age. And I've been able to use that knowledge of sports from that age with that memory to put it in proper context. I can compare Jerry West to Kobe Bryant. I can compare Bill Belichick to Lombardi. You know, I can compare, you know, the, uh, I can't do Russell, a little before my time, but I can compare, you know, uh, the early 70 dominant, you know, the Oakland A's of the teams that won three world championships, the Yankees, you know, came along uh, in the late 90s. I can compare that because I saw the teams. So, and I remember so, I mean, it's almost like God, you know, make a long story short, Jai, God put me on the shirt to be a talk show host. I mean, that's basically what it comes down to. I wanted to be a play-by-play guy, baseball player. I wanted to be the next Vin Scully. I went to the winter meetings in Jackson, in, uh, in Hawaii, in the, uh, winter of, in the winter of 82, December, for a week. And the job I ended up getting was in Jacksonville, Florida. I got fired from the team after six weeks, going down there in January of 83 to be Theoretically, they're a play-by-play guy. Once the season started, that didn't work out. I walk into a radio station five days later. It's a dawn-to-dusk station. It opens at 6 a.m., closes when it gets dark out. And all of a sudden, I end up doing sports talk shows. Uh, you know, So I was lucky. I was put in the right spot at the right time. I, I had some breaks. God was looking after me. He was looking after mm-hmm. me. But I worked hard to give myself the opportunity where if I got a break, I could take advantage of it. And in my life, I got three or four of them that were huge. Mike and the Mad Dog creation, one of them. And I was fortunate to take advantage of it. That's what it comes down to. Now, were there ever times where you wish that you had a brother, you had brother or sister? Oh, absolutely. Uh, You know, I do think in the history, I don't know if you have, you have siblings, don't you, Jay? A, bro- a younger brother and a younger sister. Okay, yes. yeah. So, I mean, I think in, um, uh, I, you know, I, I think if you look at it, I think, his, I think um, data says that a lonely child sometimes can be more successful. There's positives and negatives. All the pressure's on you. When you get older, you got to take care of your parents. It's not like you have three of them. In your case, when you get to be an adult and your parents or a parent gets sick, you got nobody. It's up to you. So, I mean, right. that, that, you know, that's a major responsibility. My father died. I had to move, my mother moved back to New Canaan from Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, so, I mean, from that, um, you know, but I think that, um, you know, since I was the only one, my parents were able to do everything they could for me, sent me to boarding school, paid for my college education at Rollins. When I went to Jacksonville in 83, I, you know, I don't remember how much, but I'm sure I had some money saved from working jobs, but. I'm sure my father sent me money and gave me money. Uh, I don't remember for, you know, I can't remember the specifics, but I'm sure when I called home, he sent me money 40 years ago. Uh, you know, and, I, and if you have, you know, if you got five, six, five brothers and sisters, you may not, may not be able to afford to do that. So, uh, again, I had a lot of advantages. 
but I put myself in the right situation. I went to Jacksonville, Florida by myself in 1983. No place to live in an AMC gremlin working for a double-A baseball team in North Florida. And to go out there and sell advertising and maybe become their play-by-play guy in baseball. That is, that is not easy. That is a right. hard endeavor to do that. I mean, you know, I mean, so the folks who say, well, I'm privileged, you know, that, that's an argument about the social justice stuff. You know, I had some, I had some advantages. No, we all know that. But when my career started, I had none. I was a New Yorker in Florida. I had to get a, I, I mean, and I had to find my, I got fired four times before I fired, before I found my way. Many a time I could have quit after the eight, 10, 12, year and a, year and a half. And I stuck with it. Until I got a break. So you got to keep that in mind. You got to plow through it sometimes. And, you know, when it push comes to shove, it's up to you. Right. Your father can't, you know, your father can't buy a radio station for you. Right. It's up. It's up to you. So I, I mean, and again, I was fortunate to take advantage of it. That's the most important thing. That's good. Um, who, now you said you were into, you know, you had the pack. Why did you stop? Because why were you were you say you were a Packers fan growing you, up? What made you fall out of love with the rooting for the Green Bay Packers? I, that's a good question. Um, I don't know why. Maybe you know I'm a Giant fan in baseball, not as much as I used to be. Uh, and you know, baseball is a harder sport to watch daily if you don't have one team. While football, you don't have to have a team. Football, you can watch a million. You can watch every game because of the way the game is played. Not many mm-hmm. of them. It's more action packed. There's a lot of ways to get involved in the game. The baseball, if you don't have one team on a daily basis, it's much more grueling to sit there day in and day out. And this Morant, by the way, is a tremendous player from Memphis. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's much more. It's much harder baseball if you don't have a team. Football. They only play 16 games. All the games are televised. They're exciting. There's ways you can bet them, fantasy and all that. Baseball, you know, right. over 162 games. So as a result of that, uh, I think that had a little something to do with me falling away from the Packers on a day-to-day basis. So I'm just not a Packer fan as much as I used to be. It's unfortunate. I wish I was. I don't root for any team specifically now uh, in um, – uh, in football, as I do say, in baseball, uh, the yeah. baseball is, uh, you know, is was the Giants, is the Giants. Not as much as it used to be, which hurts me with the sport. Uh, but I did fall out of the Packers. And the only thing I can think of is because, uh, you know, it's easier to watch it on a weekly basis than it is for uh, than it is for baseball. I guess that's the reason. Gotcha. Uh, now, do you have a favorite game from your childhood back in the 60s and 70s out of all the out of all the big time sporting events and all the big time moments in sports, do you have like a favorite game? I'd have from to, your say, childhood I'd have to say the ice ball. The ice ball. Uh, I mean, if I had to give you a game, I'd have to give you the ice ball. I remember watching it live, uh, New Year's Eve of '67. Uh, you know, I remember the year before too, Dallas and Green Bay, not to the extent of details, but I remember the ice ball details. Uh, I was, uh, let's see, '67. I was eight. And I remember the game. And I was a big Packer fan. Uh, I remember watching the game. Um, it, you know, it was like a 4 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the afternoon game, whatever time it was. It was, you know, on New Year's yeah. of uh, 67. And that game was a very, very significant game 
in my young young life. Now, there's a lot of others. That, you know, I remember the '69 Knicks pretty well. Uh, I remember um, uh, some of those. Uh, I remember some of the '69 Mets when they won it all. I was nine, ten. Uh, but the but I, but the '68, the '67 Ice Bowl. I remember some of the Jets. Uh, the you know they won it the uh, the year the next year with Namath. But yes, the '67, the '67 Ice Bowl. NFC NFL title game, Cowboys and the, um, the, the the Cowboys and the and the Packers. That's a game that I remember very very well for an eight year old kid. For an eight year old kid. Now was it as cold in New York as it was over in Green Bay? No, Do you remember the not, weather? No, that was uh, that that uh, that that uh, that system came from Canada. That was not nearly as cold. Uh, I don't remember what the temperature was that day, but uh, that was a very 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 uh, you know, that day in Green Bay was like minus 49 degrees. I mean, it was ridiculously cold. And, you know, you know, if you've listened to me, I've got a, I've had a good relationship with a lot of those 67 Packers. Yeah. I know Dave Robinson, I know pretty well. Jerry, Jerry Kramer. Kramer. I know very well. Not many of them are alive anymore. But, you know, those yeah. two specifically, uh, you know, I've talked, I, before he passed, I, and I, I had conversations with, uh, you know, I've had I had Star on, Horning on. He wasn't on the team that much. I had Jim Taylor on. He wasn't on the team that much either. Uh, Donnie Anderson and Grabowski were the running backs. The Taylor and um, and uh, Horning were the year before. But I remember the team. Uh, you know uh, that that game and that history, that city, that stadium, that ring home, that ring the the Packers in the '60s rings home to me. Make a long story short. Now I got a question for you. Who was the last offensive lineman introduced that Super Bowl one for the Green Bay Packers? Yeah. Uh, the uh, Bob Skaronsky. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I had that uh, trivia question and nobody could get the answer right. So I went nuts and nuts and nuts. You know, that trivia, I don't know if you get into that. That, Yo, that I love it. I love the trivia. Yeah, the, the, that week has, a, you know, that week has a uh, – it's a it 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 really people really latch on to that week. They really get a kick out of it. There's a million people who listen. You'd be amazed. There's a million people who call. That's a huge week for our channel. Um, you know, we get the tickets for the game. We work hard on the on the contest. They love that contest. The fans absolutely love it. And we've we, we've had a lot of success. You know, it's sold out. Advertisers. I brought that contest over from Mike and myself over at FAM because we did that contest for years. Now, I've mm. changed some of the elements of it, but that contest was an original FAN one, and I brought it over to Sirius when I got there 11 years ago. Now, quick question regarding this year. Now, if we – so, obviously, if we don't have a football season, we won't have the contest. But if we have a full NFL season and make it up until the Super Bowl – but there won't be any fans. I haven't at the Super thought Bowl. about that. That's a good how, question. How, you ha- how will you handle the fans? Well, I mean, I probably will give the tickets away for the next Super Bowl. That's a very good question. I hadn't even thought of that. That is something that we are going to have to think about. But yes, uh, if, if there's a season, there will be a contest. They have, I don't know how we'll do You know, I don't know what we'll do. Uh, you know, that Super Bowl ticket is such a significant ticket. Uh, that is something I haven't thought about. Uh, you know, maybe there'll be. I remember if there are fans, there won't be seventy-five thousand. Maybe they cut it in half, which makes right. the tickets much more difficult to get, which also is a problem. Uh, but that is a question. You're one step ahead of me. I got to figure <laughs> out a way to do that. I'm not sure how to do that yet. It's a good question. 
Now, uh, where, where did you get the idea? I'm, I'm getting off the beaten path, but I'm, but I'm into the trivia right quick. Uh, when did you start that contest? Whose idea was it? You know what was what was the what's the origin story of the uh, of uh, you Super know I don't Bowl know the exact contest. I don't remember the exact year that we began it. Um, it probably you know the origin of it is that we had tickets to give away on the air. I mean that's the origin of it. You know FAN got tickets from the NFL office to give away tickets to fans on the air, and as a result of that, um, you know we had to figure out a creative way to do that, make it fun. Uh, so it probably began, I'd have to look at the history of it. I would say it began in the late 90s. Uh, it didn't begin, you know, in 91 or 92. It probably began a little later than that. Um, I used to, I, I hired a couple of people to come up with all the questions. And with the advent of the uh, internet, you know, we've had to change the scenario to make it sound with the audio. We used to not right. do that, so we had to change it. But I, that, that contest is probably about 22, 23 years of age. I don't know the exact year. I'd say late 90s. I'd say late 90s. Interesting. Um, getting back to – so you were born in 1959. Now, the, now, you were a young kid, so it might be a little hard to ask this, but do you have any recollections of – uh, JFK or no. RFK and Dr. King's assassination? Uh, RFK and J, uh, RFK and King, yes, 68. Uh, I remember both. Uh, you know, the RFK one was in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, New York time, uh, in uh, June of 68. And I remember my father waking up, putting on a radio, and finding out that oh, Robert F. Kennedy was killed. So I remember that. King was killed three or four months prior to that. I don't April sixty-eight. April of sixty-eight. I don't. It was April eighth or no April first. Uh, I I don't specifically remember where I was for that one. That also happened early in the evening. That did not happen at four o'clock in the morning like the RFK thing, and it didn't happen in the middle of the day where I wouldn't. What I would remember it where JFK. Remember JFK April was killed. 4th. Uh, April 4th for King. JFK was killed at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, so everybody was up. Everybody was aware what was going on. The whole thing with um, King, and he was killed, uh, you know, probably at night. I'd say around, what, 7, 8 o'clock? And, um, and Kenny was killed at 3 o'clock in the morning. 7 o'clock in April of 68, I might be taking a bath. And I, who knows what I was doing? I don't remember that as vividly. I remember it, but not exactly where I was. The RFK one I do. The RFK one is, and obviously Kennedy, I don't, although I do have some memory of the parade or the parade of the, not a parade, the uh, funeral, because that was uh, on a Monday, I believe, uh, in downtown, in, in, in D.C. And I remember, you know, the little kids and uh, I have, I was four. I do have a little memory of that. So, you know, just a vague feel, vague snapshot. But I don't remember where I was when JFK was killed, which I was November 63. I had just turned four years old. Right. That's understand. Uh, Dr. King, 601, uh, that's Tennessee time. Yeah, so Central Standard, so right 7 o'clock New York time. You know, right. 7 o'clock New York time, April of 1968. And I don't know, I was probably in uh, third grade, maybe, second grade. Uh, who knows? Uh, it probably didn't dawn on me as 
for some reason, the RFK one I remember because I remember my father put the radio on and there it was. Uh, this this Morant's a tremendous player. You know that? Yeah, and yes. we all know we all know he's great, but we're watching him now in a playoff atmosphere here against the Trailblazers. He's tough to stop offensively. We all know how good Lillard is too. Go ahead, you may continue. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I know you don't have any recollection of JFK's assassination, but correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't Pete Rozelle's biggest regret as NFL commissioner uh, was playing on that weekend when JFK was assassinated? Yeah, he. Uh, that seemed to be what people remember. What Rozelle said when he left office. Was was that scenario? Um, you know, remember the um, uh, Pierre Solinger was the press secretary for uh, for um, for Kennedy, and he knew Roselle. Uh, either they went to college together, or they were from the West Coast, they were friendly. And he told Roselle JFK would wanted the games to be played, and so that's why they played the games. Now Kennedy was killed on a Friday. And the games were played the next two days later. I mean, that, that's a horrendous decision. The AFL did not play, by the way. The they AFL didn't. did not play. The NFL did. And remember, mm-hmm. Ruby killed um, uh, Oswald in that Dallas police station at around mm-hmm. noon Dallas time. And when he killed him, uh, you know, the, everybody was at the giant Cardinal game. And they announced it on the PA. And there was dead silence at Yankee Stadium. You probably didn't. Wow. You probably didn't know that, but uh, you know the the Giant game was sold out. Cardinals played the Giants. Uh, the Giants had a bad year. Remember, sixty one, sixty two. The Giants lost back to back title games to the Packers. By sixty three, the Giants had faded. So as a result of that, the uh, you know they were bad. The Cardinals in sixty three were pretty good. And they had a game that day, that Sunday at Yankee Stadium, and Ruby killed Oswald when fifty, when 70,000 were in the stadium and they announced it in the PA system. An eerie silence. Frank Gifford told me that story. An eerie silence at the stadium. Eerie silence. Yeah, because I, I saw CNN did like a huge uh, document. Part, I think it was like part of like their little 60s thing. Uh, back, back. Yeah, I hear that's a great thing. I have not seen that documentary. I should see that. I hear that is a tremendous documentary. The sixties. Oh, it's uh, fantastic! Yeah, it's I've fantastic. heard it. It's great. It goes, it goes in depth of of the conspiracy theories and 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 the ha- and the science of how JFK was killed and the pictures frame by frame of of the bullet actually going into his head and then they have that video of. Um, of Ruby going up two feet to Lee Harvey Oswald, pulling out a gun out of his coat and shooting him as he's being transported from one police station. Yeah, I have to, to the watch that. It's, it's Everybody's coming up sign. You know, right now I'm into the '60s big time with the music. Uh, I that is something I have to watch. That's a bad job on my part. I will get to that. It's on CNN. I'm sure I can see it on demand. Is that correct? You can probably find it on Netflix if they still have it up there, but. I, I, it's been, I when, saw did that, it. when did that come out, Jay? Oh, this was back when I was like in the sixth or seventh grade. It's been a couple of years. Oh, since it's been out there. Oh, okay. Yeah. I got to find that. Everybody's told me how good that is. I got to find that. But, um, do you hear an echo, by the way? No, I do not. Okay. Because I'm getting a little fever. But, um, so 
what so you have so you have a little bit of a recollection of RFK yep. and Dr. K. Do you remember anything of the of the civil rights movement back in the sixties at all? I can't say I do. Um, you got to remember, you know, Syosset, Long Island. It wasn't right. You know, I wasn't living in Detroit. I wasn't in Watts in L.A. Um, you know, it's 68, 67. Uh, I remember the moon landing very well, but that was in August. That was in July of 69. Right. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm nine going on 10. That's a little different, but I don't. Uh, I don't have a feel of, uh, I mean, I have a little feel of it, but not enough to really give you a specific answer on the civil rights. It's unfortunate. I wish I did. I don't as much as I'd like, but the moon landing in July of 69, which the whole world watched 300 million people uh, or how many, a billion people, you know, I don't know how many folks were in a window world in 1969, 300 million people, Americans, but the world is billion. That was an unbelievably big story, and everybody watched that. That I remember pretty well. Uh, in, uh, in I remember watching it at night, eleven o'clock. Um, but that again was sixty nine. It's a couple of years later, and you very well couldn't forget that one. I don't remember Woodstock, and Woodstock was a month later. I don't have a feel of Woodstock. Again, nine years old. Don't have a feel of Woodstock, but landing on the moon, I do. Uh, that one hits, I can, I remember it to this day, landing on the moon. Because it's, you know, it's, uh, what young kid who's nine years old, you know, landing a spaceship on the moon is a big deal. Right. That's going to hit home to you. About, it was 50 years ago, yeah. Um, so you say you went to boarding, you went, you went to high school up at that boarding school in upstate New York. And I graduated high school uh, two weeks, uh, two weeks ago. Do you have a? Do you have any? Do you remember your high school graduation? At oh all? yeah, very well. Oh, very well. Uh, that I, yeah, my I only had thirty three kids in my graduating class. I remember my high school very very well. Um, I mean, I loved that. I was there for you know four years, small boarding school. Uh, to this day, um, huge love Darrow. Uh, and I mean, I loved the school. It's the best thing ever happened to me. I needed to get out of New Syosset, get out of the high school environment. The big classes bothered me. I, I wasn't able to distinguish myself sports-wise. Darrow was very, very important. And so as a result of that, that was uh, something that was much needed. Graduated in May of 79, uh, May of 78. Uh, never like it was yesterday. Uh, nice, warm day. Never my senior year well. Never my senior year, my spring term, senior year, spring term, senior year. I went to um, uh, I went to uh, England to go to school for a, about eight weeks. I did a boarding school uh, uh, journal of what it was like in English boarding school compared to American boarding school, and I did that that um, that some, that let my spring term senior year at Darrow, so April and May. So I actually left, which was probably a dumb idea. I shouldn't have done that. You know, I should have enjoyed my last two months at high school and I left campus, which is kind of silly. And, and uh, I wouldn't do that today. I did it then, but I learned something. And I was in an English boarding school by myself for eight weeks. If you see, Jai, only child, boarding school, yeah. England, Jacksonville. I did a lot of this by myself. You know, I'm very yeah. independent. 
So all of a sudden, I didn't get married until I was 35 years of age. My first kid didn't come along until I was 38. So <laughs> I did, I did, I grew, I spent a lot, I spent the first 30 years of my life in a lot of ways very, very solo, very solo. Uh, now, how did you, how, because you said you went off to uh, England to go to school, your mother, if I, if I am correct, is English. She, you know, from, correct. uh, yep. so how did, how did, did that have an effect on you at all as far as your upbringing? Well, that's probably why, that's probably culture? why, I, that's probably why I went. Um, uh, you know, it, it's, it, I was 17, 18, maybe I was searching for something. I love Daryl. So to give up your spring term at Darrow, when you're already in the college, because I was in Rollins, to yeah. give that up, to go give yourself, you know, I, I lived in a room with 30 other kids. Nobody knew who I was. And that's very difficult to do. Why I gave myself that assignment, I have no idea. But I, it was worthwhile. Taught me something. But still, it, it, was, a, uh, it, it, it was a big, big ask for a young kid who really could have enjoyed himself uh, at um, and Portland's going to get out of this first, uh, out of this playing game against Memphis, too many made shots, uh, Anthony and Morant. And of course, um, Lillard, they're going to give the Lakers trouble. Uh, Jai. I'm not sure when this is here. They're going to get, they, they got yeah. firepower. You know, they got some firepower. Uh, you know, they got three or four guys you can really score and they got a decent center. And they got firepower. And so, you know, they will make it different. You know, if they make threes, they can beat anybody. But anyway, to make a long story short, um, uh, my mother's influence probably had something to do with me going to England. You got to remember, my mother doesn't like sports. She wanted me to play piano and violin and do all the cultural things that she loved to do. And I wanted mm. to follow sports. And my mother doesn't love sports. You know, she doesn't know the baseball, the football, loves tennis. So I got that from her. But I ain't getting anything else. So as a result of that, uh, you know, kind of kind of weird that um, I did something maybe along her lines when I went to school there in uh, England for that six, seven week period. Again, um, so I, I learned something, learned how to be on my own. It served me well because a lot of my life, my early part of my life, Jacksonville, Florida, Orlando, Florida, WMCA, New York. Uh, coming up here blind in 1987, a lot of that was I had to do it by myself. So in a lot of ways, it helped me. It really did. Right. Um, now, do you, where did the, now you you have one of the most unique voices I've ever heard. You know, I've read to people. It's like Donald Duck on stage. Where did you? Is that the voice? Because did you get the voice? Because you're from Long Island, so you have that Long Island accent. You uh, and then, of course, your mother is, uh, and then of course, your mother is English, and it's kind of like a combination of the two. How do you, what, what do you, did you get, did, do you talk more like your, like, if I were to hear your mother talk or your late father talk, who, who, but you, you, you think of my, I talk like my father did. My mother has still got an English accent, so you'd recognize it. Um, I, uh, uh, you know, it, you get, first off, it helps to have a unique voice. If you right. have a unique voice, that uh, is a big factor. Because if you have a unique voice, uh, you know, you're going to, if you're jai driving around Baltimore and you latch on to the voice, it's unique, it's catching, it's not forgettable. And so that is very important if you want to be a radio personality. So my voice has served me very well. 
Um, and it is, you said, it's a little bit of a cross. New York There's probably a little weird English feel in there, too. But it's a distinctive voice. Right. And that is very, very important uh, if you're going to do this line of work is to have that kind of voice. Very, very significant. So it served me well. And, you know, that's the old line that, uh, you know, uh, Letterman used to give me all the time. The first time I, this is long before you were born, but the first time I went out with Letterman in February of 91, I was a year and a half in February 91. The first time I went out with Letterman, uh, he said, look, honey, first time he put me on the radio, he was talking to me, look, honey, they gave Donald Duck a show, just like you said. Uh, So I mean, that is a famous, (laughs) oh, it's not famous, but if you went on YouTube and you saw that, yeah, it, it's, it. it's a I've great. It, that's yeah. the first time I was uh, I was on there thirty seven times, and I think that is the first time I was. That was the first time I was ever on. It's you know for me historically, yeah. it's a, it's it's quite a you know I'll never forget it. The first time I walked on stage there and did Dave. I remember those days, Dave. That was NBC, and Dave was on at twelve thirty at night. This is three years before I got to CBS. Right. You got to keep that in mind too. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've seen that. Yeah, and he mocks your hand gestures and everything else. I've it's seen that. This is a funny. funny video. It's a funny video. Um, now, do you have, now you say you didn't get married till 35, so I would imagine you would, didn't have your first date till like, what, 18, 17 years old? You have a you have first date story? Uh, remember, uh, you know, I had, um, Daryl was co-ed. There was probably 80 guys, 50 girls. Um, so I had, I remember I used to really like a girl in high school named Heidi Dexter, uh, but she liked somebody else named Fred Douglas that hurt me. Uh, I had a girl, I never really had a serious girlfriend in college. I know that sounds wacky, but I didn't join a fraternity. So I never had a serious, I mean, I never really had a serious girlfriend in college. I didn't really have any serious girlfriend. I, I tell you, Jai, it's a, I, I, a young, a, a serious girlfriend that I had, a first one, this is going to sound weird, was probably 1985. Really a serious girlfriend. I was 25 years of age. Uh, I was in, remember in Jacksonville, I'm all by myself. I don't have any money. Right. Uh, you know, my job there in Jacksonville was to do the morning sports, do a weekend sports talk program. I mean, I was there for a year, a year and a half. It wasn't, I didn't have, there was no way there was going to be any girlfriends. Who would know me? Uh, but Orlando there was, and I had a serious girlfriend there in 85. So that would have been 35 years ago. I was 25. I was in love with her, and she blew me off. Uh, Denise Betts was her name, and that was in the spring of 85. That was a real serious girlfriend. Had a couple of others, too, when I got to New York. But not a lot of girlfriends for your favorite little host prior uh, to 1985 or uh, prior, you know, sports was my mistress, make a long story short, or, 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 <laughs> uh, or prior to um, meeting my wife there in 93. So um, I, I, you know, I had some, three or four, a uh, couple I thought maybe I'd marry, one specifically. Denise, I was still too young. I was just trying to get a career started. You got to remember in this career, yeah, you want to be a talk show host back in my era. You know, you can't have uh, you can't have a wife and a two year old traveling, uh, traveling around with you when you're 25 years of age. You make no money. You're going town to town. You, you got to work constantly. I mean, you, you you can't you can't be feeding your family. You never be able you won't be able to make it. 
So from that standpoint, it was it was it was hard. So you have to be able to do. Essentially, you have to you have to be very you got to be a soul. You got to be a, a soul independent worker to do your thing and to be very goal oriented and obsessed with being in a career. This is a hard career. At least in my day, it's easier probably now. There's more avenues to get in. But, it, you know, when I started this 40 years ago, 35 years ago, you know, you had to find a radio station. You had to find a station that did sports talk or sports games. Uh, you know, you had to do other things besides just broadcasting. You had to sell advertising. You had to, you had to do a ton of things. It wasn't just what you think it was where you go in there and you can, uh, you know, uh, you know, make plenty of money and have a life. Your life was being on the air and your life was starting your career. So for a long period of time there, that is exactly what I did. I I, I was, yeah. my goal, my sole goal was to make it. That was my sole goal. Right. Now, what do you mean by blew you off? What, uh, what, she, what, she, she met you somebody, up on a date? She met or? somebody else and she dated somebody else. Sorry, a serial, a serial dater. And I remember at the Winter Park Arts Festival, um, I thought we, we were still an item and I walked at the Winter Park Arts Festival and I saw her holding hands with somebody else. She didn't see me. I oh. saw her. That was a killer. And I was at 25 years of age. And I remember she was yeah. my board op at the radio. And, you know, she had a I bought her a cross for Christmas, I believe it was, or maybe for Valentine's Day or something. And she was wearing her cross that I got her. That same afternoon that I started holding hands with somebody else. So you learn, you know, you basically learn, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you learn that you can't have anything get in your way if you want to be, you know, remember in, in Orlando, Florida, I was making $13,000 a year, $16,000 a year. In Jacksonville, Florida, I was making 120 bucks a week. Yeah, you, 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 you know, you barely can feed your, now remember I had my parents and I'm sure, again, I don't remember the specifics, but they visited me a lot. I'm sure my father left. He gave me a hundred, you know, he gave me a couple hundred bucks to work with. I wasn't destitute, right. but it wasn't that easy to make a long story short. It wasn't that easy. So I had to be careful. I mean, I, I didn't. And again, I was working morning drive on Jacksonville and weekend. I was working Saturday morning sports talk. I had one day off a week. I was living off somebody's apartment, no kitchen. I got TV I got cable in there and had a bathroom, one sixty a month. Walking distance to the radio station. Nineteen eighty three, twenty four years of age. That's how you, now, that's how you, you do this. Now you were in college. Were you were you a partier? What what was the scene with you at Rollins Well, college? I'm a partier. I wasn't in a fraternity, so I wasn't like I you know I got uh, blown away every Saturday night. But, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm this is 1980, 1981. I went to Australia, don't forget, too, uh, for five months, sort of like England, 30 other Darrow, uh, 30 other Rollins kids. We had a transfer program. And I went to Australia. I went to Australia my junior year. So that would have been the fall of 80. I went there from yeah. August, the year the bread hit 390. I went there from August. It's amazing how I always look at sports as my reference points. I went there. My, that's me, me too. too. So that's me too. I went there from August to December of 80. Uh, but I, you know, a, a partier, 
Did I drink beer? Sure. Did I uh, smoke pot? I'm not going to lie to you. Sure. But was I a guy that was, you know, half in a bag every night? No. Uh, I, I, was a, I was a relatively <laughs> serious student. I, was, I loved history. I had good classes. Rollins had a very good history in political science department. Um, you know, after I got, in, got settled, it took me a year to get settled in to find my niche in college. Once I did, right around the fall of 80, a fall of seven, let's see, that would have been 78, fall of 80, the winter of 80. Once I got settled in, January of 80, I was 21 years of age, sophomore year, second term, I became a pretty serious college student. The last two and a half years of my college career, I became a pretty serious college student. I can name you the professors to this day. Gary Williams, Jack, um, Jack Larson, uh, Charles Edmondson, Barry Levis, uh, I mean, I, uh, Thomas Larson. I can name you those guys today, those five to seven teachers that uh, Bettina Beers that really taught me something. All those history classes. That's why I love history so much. Wow. Who was, uh, is a lot of big time uh, sports moments back in the early 80s when you were in college? Of course, you had, you had uh, Lakers Celtics. You had, um, and of course, you had uh, in the early 80s, you had um, the 49ers dynasty. Was, well, yeah, I mean, was I, think just beginning I think there's four or five games here, Joe. You had San Francisco, Dallas, and he, yeah, when the catch with Clark and uh, from Montana, it's a huge game because uh, you know it was Montana, the Cowboys, and San Francisco ended up ended up winning the Super Bowl. Uh, they beat Cincinnati. Uh, you had the Bird Magic thing, so you had the game in '79, the College Championship, and then Bird goes to Boston, Magic goes to L.A. The two best right after that game. Remember, Magic's a sophomore. He leaves after his sophomore year. He only played college two years. Bird played four years. Uh, so he was a senior. So Bird's two years older than Magic. Bird was born in 57. Magic was born either 59 or 60. Uh, His birthday was just the uh, other was day. Okay, I didn't even know that. So you had, Bird, you had Bird go to Boston, resurrected the Celtics. Magic go to L.A., help with Kareem. Uh, they had played this humongous game in college. Black White had something to do with it. Magic, the great black star. Mm -hmm. Bird, the great white star. The Hick from French Lick. Lan uh, uh, Lansing, Michigan. Um, that really turned on America. You, As you said, you had um, the Niner Cowboy game. Uh, I'm, you know, the Phillies won their first World's Ever Championship. Rose, Schmidt. They beat the Royals and Brett in the 80 World Series. That was a big deal. Yankees and Dodgers played in 77. Yankees and Dodgers played in 78. Yankees and Dodgers played in 81, three times. The two bi-coastal teams, uh, New York and L.A., played in three World Series. That's huge, too. Mm -hmm. Don't forget that. And in college football, you always had your Ohio's. You had Schimblecker and uh, Woody Hayes. And, you know, you always had Bryant there at the end at Alabama. Uh, you know, USC and Alabama in 78. You had Notre Dame. Was, they had, you know, you had oh, Notre Dame was always good. Uh, you know, Holtz got there, turned that whole thing. Uh, you know, era, era Parsegan left 74. They hung around. They got Holtz in there. That's a factor, too. I mean, you got a lot of things going on. 
Sports was good there. You know, you got Bird Magic in the NBA, two huge stars. You got Montana in the NFL, the 49er uh, dynasty. Uh, and obviously, you still got the Cowboys who are good every year. Gibbs comes in with the Redskins. Uh, the Giants got LT. Huge. New York. The Bears won in 85. So you got New York, Chicago, Montana, the Was- Washington, Gibbs. Huge. You know, the Yankees had Steinbrenner, Reggie. Won some championships. You had the 78 Red Sox-Yankee rivalry. That game was a humongous game. It's the best game I've ever seen. The 78 game at Fenway. That's a I mean, I'm 18, uh, Jai. I'm 19. Mm-hmm. I'm 20. I'm 21. I mean, that is, you know, from, you know, I sports in the early 70s too. But from early, you know, the, the early 70s, you're just getting out of the 60s. Uh, that, you know, right. a tough decade. Late 70s, early 80s, we're beginning to turn the corner, moving on, and sports was huge. You had a lot of huge stars. I mean, you know, again, Bird, Magic, Montana, LT, Washington, Dallas was still good. Brett, I mean, yeah, a lot of things. Schmidt, yeah, a lot going on in sports that period. A lot going on. Any what was uh we what TV shows and movies were you into back well, in the early, back in, the 70s, you know, in that 80s late seventies early eighties period? I loved all the movies. Ordinary People, Kramer vs Kramer, um, Coming Home. Uh, you know that is a period in one's life, like music, where when you're a senior, uh, when you're in high school, you know that period there between say the ages of seventeen and twenty five. You're impressionable. The movies, you, now you realize what a good movie is. That is very, it's like music. You're very significant. Right. Tootsie, I loved. Dustin Hoffman, I loved. Jane Fonda, I loved. John Voight, I loved. Uh, you know, uh, all those, The Godfather was a little earlier than that. That was in 72. It's a little earlier, a little earlier than that. But all those movies, mm-hmm. if you, I don't have my movie book in front of me, but if you look at the with Diane Keaton looking for Mr. Goodbar, if you look at uh, all those movies between, say, 70s, Rocky, Jaws, you had a lot of good movies. And I was very impressionable. And then I had Springsteen in music. Uh, so, you know, I, I had Bruce, you know, and uh, every young kid needs a young rock and roll band. Now, if I was born five or six years earlier, I would have had Woodstock. I would have had Crosby, Stills and Nash. I would have had those. I would have had the doors. I would have had that. But I, I too young then. When I started to right. follow music carefully in 75, 76, 77, Bruce, Born to Run, came out in 75. He was on the cover of Time and Newsweek the same, yeah, the same month, October of 75. Born to Run was a huge, it was a huge hit. That was his third album. Historically, phenomenally great live. And, you know, I'm 17 years of age. First time I saw Bruce was May of 78. I had just gotten back from England. I saw him at the Capitol Theater in Albany, New York. 2,000 people. Uh, you know, 78, Bruce. Wasn't the first concert I saw, but it was the first time I saw him. It was the Darkness on the Edge of Tour album. It was his second uh, stop on that tour. And uh, that album came out in 78, May of 78. Born to Run came out. May of 75. I did not see him in 75. Love the music. I saw him later. But there you go. So I had the Giants in baseball. I had 
Bruce and music. I had all these great teachers at Rollins. That's where I was, you know, that's where I developed. That's where I developed my mind. You know, that's, that sponge. You, you've listened to me a long time. That sponge like deal. That's when it was four minutes right around that period. Dirk. Now, were you into the big time? I know you. I know you like uh, all in the family. Were you into the eight? Were you into the Cosby Show, Seinfeld? Seinfeld, Seinfeld, no. Um, you know, I lost some. You know, in seventies television, I watched all the time. Uh, Cannon, uh, Kojak, Hawaii Five O, All in the Family, Mash. Watched all those shows. Mary Tyler Moore. By the time I got in the 80s, remember, I'm trying to start a career. So what I'm doing in the 80s, from 83 on, I'm basically going to games. I'm watching sporting events. I'm on the air. So I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm going to JU basketball games, Bob Wenzel. Um, Go to Orlando. They had a USFL team, the Renegades with Corso. I'm doing that. So I was in a period there where once I got my career started in culture and I kept my eye on the road, which is sports. Did you, did you re-tap into it? In yeah, the I 90s with, into it. You know, yeah, I re-tapped sport. into it a little bit. With, yeah, I re- once I got myself. With, but remember in the 90s, I'm doing a daily show with Mike. I'm on five hours a day. Uh, I'm going to games constantly. Uh, Yankees, Mets, you know, Knicks, Rangers. I mean, you know, in 94, um, I went to 48 playoff games with the Knicks and Rangers. Did you know that? So 48 nights, the Knicks got the game seven of the final. Rangers won the whole thing. Rangers played a four-game series. In the first two rounds, that's eight. Then they played 14 games in the next two rounds. That's 22. I was at every one of the, except the first uh, couple of games in one. They played five games in, 23 games they played. I probably went to 20 of them on the road too. The Knicks played seven games against Houston, seven games against Indiana. That's 14. They played seven games against the Bulls. That's 21. And they played probably four games against, in the first round, they played, played a four-game series against Charlotte, something like that. Because in those days, the series was best of five. So that's, I mean, do all the math. That's 45 nights I'm at an arena. Mm-hmm. Went to Vancouver. Went to every game at the Meadowlands in that Ranger Devil Series, which is a classic series. It's before your time. It's a classic series. Rangers were down 3-2, never won a cup. Messier guaranteed they were going to win. One game set in game six in Jersey. They were down 2-0. They won game six in Jersey, and they came back and won game seven against the Devils in double overtime at the Garden. I was at the game. Uh, The Knicks, I went to every Rockets game. I was in Indiana when – I was in Indiana a lot those years. The Knicks had to win game six in Indiana, three games to two in 94. I was at the game. I was at games three and four in Chicago. This is after Jordan uh, with Pippen, that one year with Pippen. I was at those games. Mm-hmm. I was at game six in that series. In 93, Jordan, Knicks, they played a seven-game. 
They played that year a six-game series. I was at every game. 92, they played the Bulls seven games. I was at, I don't know, I didn't go to game seven. It was a weekend. I went to, you know, most of those games. You got to remember, in that period, in the start of Mike and the Mad Dog, Jai, I am at, uh, the Mets were pretty good. The Yankees stunk, so I didn't go to many Yankee games. The Mets were pretty good. They were just, you know, they were good in the late 80s. They were getting strawberry. Keith, uh, you know, late 80s, they were good. And in the early 90s, you know, the Mets, uh, you know what? Both teams stunk. Uh, uh, the Yankees were getting good. The Yankees got good in 93, 94. So in the early 90s, the, yeah, so yeah. in 90, in the early 90s, the Mets and the Yankees both were awful. The, Gi- the Giants won the Super Bowl in 90. Uh, I was at all the playoff games. They played in San Francisco in the championship game. I was at the game. Uh, they played Super Bowl in Tampa, Buffalo. I was at the game. They played the Bears in the first round. I was at the game. Uh, 89 against the Rams. I was there. I mean, I was I was at all these games. So where, where are you going to watch, you know, or where are you going to watch Seinfeld? Not easy. Not easy. Plus, plus, I got girlfriends. It's a bit, you know, I hadn't met Jeannie yet. I met her in 93, but I had a girlfriend prior to that. So it's tricky. It's tricky. Have you met any A-list celebrities in your career at all? A-list? Mm-hmm. Well, I met Springsteen. He's A-list, right? Uh, maybe back in your day, but not so much yeah, I, now. I, I, trust me when I tell you, Jay, in my day, he was, he was an A-list celebrity. Um, yeah, he, uh, you know, I'm talking about early 80s now. He was, uh, the, right. nobody touched Bruce. I mean, he, uh, Michael Jackson, oh, dog. You're right. Good point. Uh, here's what I'll tell you about Bruce. Uh, born in the USA, fought uh, 10 straight nights at the Meadowlands, sold out, of, not, not the arena, the stadium. The stadium. Sold out 10 straight nights. That's 700, that's 70,000 times 10. That's 700,000 mm-hmm. people. It's a lot of people. Uh, that, but that's my, you know, that, that, that again, that's my area. You're right. Michael Jackson's a good one. He certainly would suffice. Um, but were you into Michael? No, I really wasn't. No, I had a lot of friends who were. I remember I got tickets for uh, Lynn Levine and a couple of others. And oh, I didn't get tickets, but I remember they went to see Michael Jackson in Jacksonville. In that would have been in '85. I think he played there. You can look it up. '84, '85. Uh, A-list celebrities, though, well, Kevin Costner had him on the air. Yeah. Uh, most of these people are athletes that I have run into. Bill Clinton, I've, I, I've right. interviewed presidents. Bill Clinton, one year, had him on. Never Obama, uh, never Reagan. Right. Um, uh, but Bush, uh, I sent Bush two copies of my book. He read it, signed them, sent me a big photograph back. Um, Clinton, Sonny Clinton, uh, musical people, um, tennis stars, mostly stars. I mean, I, I can't say so much television or movie wise, you know, Brad Pitt, no, Lauren, uh, Leonard DiCaprio, no, Meryl Streep, no, (laughs) Leonardo DiCaprio, Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, no, Robert De Niro, no, uh, Al Pacino, no. Um, I've never really been that into that. You know me. Uh, yeah. You know, get my tennis and my get my tennis in. It makes me a happy guy. Get my books to read. Makes me a happy guy. Jai, my yeah. suggestion to you: keep it simple. Keep it simple. Don't get too complicated. Yeah. Don't get don't get star eyed. 
do a show every day, keep it simple. And I'm going to keep an eye on you uh, once you start college and once you get your career going. And in four years from now, when you're ready to get yourself started, the Mad Dog Radio will keep an eye on you to get you started in the right direction. I promise you that. I, I thank you. I appreciate that, dog. Who get who? Now, by the way, who gave you? And if anyone listens, notice I never, I never call dog by his first name because uh, because I I've been reared, you know, to elders. You know, you call him Mister So and So. So because he has a nickname, I call him by that nickname. I don't. I I know you have no problem with it, but for me, it just feels weird. Six calling a sixty year old grown dog man kind of. by his first yeah. name. But so I. So I always call you by by your nickname. Uh, all my speaking uh, of which, all, all my friends outside of the radio world call me Chris. Um, uh, as far as the nickname is concerned, um, Bob Raceman, uh, and I, I owe him uh, uh, great. Uh, I, I I I acknowledged him in my first book. I made sure he got because he deserved that. Uh, he gave me that nickname in 1988, 89, Mad Dog. And that nickname, that's why sometimes God plays in the games, Jai. If you think, and I want to, I, I got to have dinner with my mother, my mother. So I'm going to end here on this note. If, if right. you think, um, think of my career for a second. Okay. I got uh, five weeks into the Jacksonville Suns, fired. Next day, I walk into a little radio station. They hire me. Uh, fired. Uh, I left that station for another station. Fired the following Christmas, come back to Jacksonville. Buddy of mine is a pro is the is the is a program director at a station in Orlando. He hires me to do sports talk six to eight Monday through Friday. I get demoted after three years of that to weekends. Rick Scalar, who promoted the first Beatles concerts at Shea in 1965, Ed Broadcasting Magazine. If you talk like a New York sports fan, say send tape and resume. I thought so little of the opportunity. I left the damn thing in my car for about a week. I sent a tape and resume up. He was a consultant at the time to Rick Scalar. Lo and behold, three weeks later, they call me. I come up to do some shows. This would have been in January of 87. I come up and do some shows. Two weeks later, he hires me. I was making $18,000 a year on the phone triples my salary to $54,000. I come up to New York and MCA, um, get on the air, do shows, find a little niche, find an audience. Raceman gives me the nickname Bob, the New York Daily News, Mad Dog, gives, gives me the nickname Mad Dog. Bernie McGurk works for Imus, hears me, says, Imus, you're going to listen to this guy. This is an 88. Imus gets the tapes. MCA changes ownership. They go all Christian radio. FAN starts in 87, 88. I, uh, I get over there uh, late 88, year and a half later. First shows uh, the Fog Bowl, Eagles and Bears. <laughs> I'm mm -hmm. on the air. Uh, Pete Franklin has a contract dispute the following summer in 89. Mike and I had just started at FAN together separately. We went through IMUS. Next thing you know, they put Mike and the Mad Dog on the air. This is in October, this is September of 89. New York sports hits. The Giants in 91. The Rangers in 94-1. Riley comes to coach the Knicks. The Yankees and the Mets are always the Yankees and the Mets. Um, 
you know, the Yankees then in 96 get Tory. They win all these championships. I work at FAN for 19 years. I get a phone call two o'clock in the afternoon uh, in February of after me and Mike had been together a long time and we had kind of worn each other out. I get a phone call in 08 from Carmerson who put, who, you know, owned infinity and CBS. He says, listen, we want to, you know, I'm now over at, uh, I'm now over at uh, Sirius. We want to give you a channel. Long story. Lo and behold, they hire me to do, uh, give me a Mad Dog radio channel. 19 years after Mike and the Mad Dog. I leave Mike and the Mad Dog. It's headlines all over the place. Back pages, front pages of every new, yeah, it's a big, big story. Me departing. It's a huge story. Um, I did a press conference when I got the job at, at, at Sirius. Packed. You, you didn't know this. This is 2008. You're, you're six years old. Did a press right. conference. It's packed at Sirius. Packed. All the radio stations, all the newspapers. Uh, you know, I've been in, and then I go to Sirius, and I hit Sirius at the right time. Stock goes down to a penny. Uh, Mel turns it around. You have Stern. And now the company, even now with the pandemic, is flourishing. Right place, right time. It's been a God-struck career. I've been very, very lucky. And it all started when I was a young little kid and sports, you know, again, I do feel there is something to this. God put me on this earth to be a talk show host. That's all there is to it. Um, and he blessed me with a lot of breaks, a lot of, you know, he made me work for it. It wasn't like I got it handed to me, but he gave me a lot of opportunities and he put me in the right situation. He got me away from play-by-play, -play, which I wouldn't have been as good at. I wanted to be Ben Scully, don't forget. Marv Allen, mm -hmm. he got me into a better genre, which would take advantage of my personality. He had got me a nickname. It really is, I've been very, I wrote, I wrote two books, uh, best-selling books, New York Times best-selling book. really in the right place at the right time. But here's what I like doing more than anything else, John. I like right. doing... A talk show. TV's fine, okay. Uh, guest appearances is fine, okay. I've done plenty of TV. I've been on plenty of the shows. I've done 60 Minutes. I've done 30 for 30s. I did Letterman plenty. What I like doing more than anything else is a daily radio show. So my roots has always been in the radio. And I think people respect that. Say what you want. Opinions, maybe he doesn't do enough social justice issues. Say what you want. But anybody who doesn't like me, who I'm not their cup of tea, doing a radio show, Marcus Stroman is a perfect example, doing a radio, <laughs> a radio show that's paced right, that's, uh, he puts the interviews in at the right spot, that handles callers, that utilizes monologues, that utilizes music. My music, yes, but music. I know how to do it. So conducting, being a radio talk show host, Jai, you got to conduct it. Mm -hmm. You got to direct it. You got to know how it flows. You got to pace it right. Got to get the right guests on. Got to ask a tough question. Got to be goofy every now and then. Got to be silly every now and then. 
You got to have a good relationship with your phone calls because they're the life and death. They're the they're the they're the, they're the blood of it. They're the life of it. Can't do a show without the calls. Right. And if you notice right. that from a national standpoint, I'm the only guy who does calls. Yeah. All those scenarios, uh, I was born to do this, and I know how to do it. That's what I enjoy most of all. Now, one last question. I'll let you go. And you've done a, a fantastic job, dog. I appreciate you. Um, how long do you see yourself doing this? Well, I got a contract that runs another uh, two and a half years, three years on TV, two and a half years on radio. I have a sophomore in college, in high school. I certainly will fulfill these contracts. I mean, I will fulfill the contracts. Question is, I'll be 63-ish. What I do then, God willing, I'm in hell. I got good health. What I do then will be interesting. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I would think I would dabble in it in some capacity. Uh, I may not do both jobs. Or maybe I only do one. Uh, but I would think if they had me, I would probably stay on the air and do it. Uh, but, you know, um, you take it day by day. I want to get my kids through college. Let us get through this pandemic. Let's make the world a better place. And it's 63, 64 years of age. We'll see if I still want to do the daily grind of doing this. on Because it's a grind. We'll see if I still want to do this on a daily basis at that point. Well, dog, I thank you. I appreciate you. I don't want to keep you long from uh, dinner with the Yeah, I'll tell you, know, I haven't seen my mother in three weeks. I gotta, I, she's, and she's cooking dinner for me tonight. So when she cooks dinner, dinner for me, I got to make the effort to go over there. She lives about a mile, a couple right. miles away. So I, I, and I haven't, I had a, hey, I had a good tennis win today. You'll be like, you'll like this. Uh, I end on this note. You know, uh, I get about 12 or 13 guys who are four or five, tennis players, which are good levels, like about a single digit in golf. Four or five tennis players. Uh, and I, we all play doubles. And I'm not a great doubles player, so I'm like the fourth guy of the guys. So when we play, I'm always with the best guy, and then the two and three guys are together. We always And I play a three or four. We got like 12 when we rotate. But, you know, I usually on a short end of the stick. I don't serve and volley that great the whole bit. But today, right. today, at 8 a.m., I beat my nemesis 6-2-7-5-6-3. So I have been 8 to 10 this morning. I've been in a good mood. You caught me in a good day. I've been in a good mood. <laughs> I've been in a good mood all day. How's that sound? That's, that's great. That's great, though. Maybe next time, once this pandemic's over, maybe me and you can have a round of golf up there. Well, I, know, I was thinking about this. Uh, I have to, and I spoke to my parent, my wife about it. We're going to have you up here uh, for a weekend. Or again, once everybody gets healthy, uh, we're going to have you up here in Connecticut for a weekend. Uh, take you to see Danny Melzer, you know, my guy who coaches the basketball team. Uh, right, right. You'll watch the TV and radio. We'll have you up here for a two or th- I'll get you up here on a train. We'll have you up here for a three or four day period. And you can see how, uh, see how we do this on a day in, day out basis. You'll learn something. I appreciate that, though. You're my man, Thanks Jai. Keep it going, pal. Thank you. I am. Thank you. Be back with the Amatel Like a TIS podcast.
Welcome back to the Umteleki TIA's podcast. Thanks again to the one and only, the great, the fantastic, the marvelous, the entertaining, the quirky, the interesting, but the great Christopher Mad Dog Russo for coming on the show. I hope you all enjoyed that episode um, with the doggy, because um, I sure did. Um, it was a treat, and it's uh, something I'll never forget for as long as I live, but you know, I had he prompt I he agreed to for, uh, for he agreed to come on, and I had to keep up my end of the bargain and make sure that I got him on. And then, so uh, I did a little uh, did a little work, you know, with the help of his uh, with the help of his son Colin, who's my age. Um, shout out to Colin by the way if you're listening, and we got it taken care of. Uh, and we got it taken care. Of. Matter of fact, let me let me just read y'all just right quick. Of, of the exchange uh, of getting dog on um, today let, let, get y'all this is funny um, not today but when I got him on um, let's see uh, so so I tell him so I'm like so we've been going so he had his power his power was out of course if y'all listen to him know that his power was out because of that storm that went through uh, the tri-state area so, and of course he had go without power and of course, you know, so then he's got, uh, you know, so he's got, you know, he's got, he's got two jobs, two jobs, kids going off to college. So we've been trying to find time to, uh, to get him on and, uh, he couldn't do uh Thursday. I wanted him Thursday, August 13th. He was golfing with his son. Okay. Bouncing around Shorehaven. Uh, and then, so Saturday when I had him on, um, so then it was like it was like available this afternoon or sometime midday Sunday. So I'm like, all right, today's school is four o'clock work. He's like, he's like, I can do that. And he's, <laughs> dog is hilarious. He's like, now remember, Portland and Memphis two thirty. And uh, you got you got you got the Portland and Memphis scenario with with John Morant and uh, and uh, uh, CJ McCollum and and Dame Dame Lillard. You got that scenario going on with the uh, with the playing game. So it's tricky. I can do that. But remember, we got Portland Memphis two thirty. You got you got a little bit of a finicky scenario going on here. So I'm like, all right, dog, that's fine. So, uh, I, so, and then it just shows you how just, how great dog is, just how old school he is. And mind you, it's 2000, 2020, we got iPhones, iPads, all, we're so technologically advanced, it's unbelievable. And, and dog, I was like, I want, nobody want me called, you want a landline? I'm like, no dog, it's, was landline, no, the exact opposite, it's more complicated than that. So then I have to explain to them that you have to download the app, and there's like a, it's a, it's a multi-step process for, you know, for a guest to come on the program, and he's like, I'll, I'll, I will have Colin do that, I'll, I'll have Colin do that. So, <laughs> which is funny, because it's like, dog who's 60 years of age, he'll be 61 this October, who works in a medium that's been technologically savvy that is radio and serious xm he's still stuck in the old school you know he he's he doesn't have i don't think he has i don't know if he has a computer i know he doesn't have an ipad he doesn't have an email 
It's just his phone, which is iPhone 11, which he's had problems with with working with uh, knowing how to uh, operate. He doesn't know how to do the Zoom, and so he has to either have his producers of his radio show to do it for him, or his kids to sit up with Zoom calls because you know him being because he had to do Zoom for high heat for the let for whatever it might be. You know when we didn't have a baseball season, and of course you know with SiriusXM when they have those little Zoom calls between athletes and first responders with the virus. So he's he, so he he don't even bother to learn. He's just like I'll just have my kids to do it. So I'm so I tell him there's a multi-step process for you to come on. And he's like I'll I'll have Colin do that. <laughs> Which is so funny because if you know anything about dog when it comes to technology, he don't he doesn't try to attempt. He he just, he just turns it over. He turns it over to Eddie Erickson, the producer of, of his radio show, his wife, Colin, Timmy, whoever whoever is more tenable logically savvy than he 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 turns he turns it over to which which is funny so i and i can just i can just imagine you know dog and 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 his son con just side by side as i'm texting him the step-by-step process and that'll come on and and them essentially both having to learn on the fly but but dog is hilarious he he is he is the absolute greatest and i hope you all enjoyed that podcast episode uh with uh, with him so i got evan cohen on i got dog on y'all let me know what uh what other radio personality you want on next you want mike babchick uh who do you guys want but anyway uh shout out to the great chris russo for uh coming on so that's another episode of the i'm telica tis podcast if you like what you heard Please subscribe. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Twitter at Amatelit underscore it is. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatelit underscore podcast. I'm your boy Jai Shields. Hope y'all enjoyed the Mad Dog spot. Talk to you in the next one. Take care.